KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. When I think about that special group of seniors that graduated last year and that we have right now, and even the class before them, too, just getting to know these kids and watching them grow and following them when they get to college, that to me is, is the most fun part, is, is seeing them mature and watching them grow into the person that they're destined to become. And our guest this week is Dan Darty. He is the head varsity girls basketball coach at Plymouth White Marsh High School. His squad coming off a state championship, really with a season for the ages, 34 and 0. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate you having me on. So what has the last several months been like? since you guys reached the the top of the mountain like just what's it been like for the kids to enjoy it and and for the program much like any great accomplishment that you've worked for for a long time the first emotion was just sheer joy uh which you could see on everyone's face that day at the Hershey Center and in the locker room afterwards uh so just sheer joy it was really a a three-year process to get there with that group of kids they in 2020, we had our season ended by the pandemic. We were still alive. And then the following year, uh, we had a really talented team again that because of COVID protocols, the tournament was really limited. Uh, and so last year was that group's last chance at it. And it's something they've wanted since they were you know, little kids. Uh, so to accomplish that goal in the manner in which we accomplished it was sheer joy. And then in the, the coming weeks and months since, it's almost felt a little bit like a, a, a positive feeling of relief. Like we did it. We, we did it. We set a goal and we achieved it. And ever since, you know, whenever you have a town day, you just sit back and you say, do you remember that time that we won all of the things, all of the games? Uh, and it just puts a smile on your face. And it's, it's been a great feeling for the community here too. Uh, Plymouth White Marsh, Plymouth Meeting is a basketball community. Uh, we have pride in all of our sports. But people that are from here and went to school here, there's just a tremendous sense of pride in the community basketball associations. And to see the girls uh, reach the pinnacle of the state, uh, national ranking, all of those things, uh, it's it's just brought a lot of pride back, I guess, in a sense, because we've gone through a lot the last few years. So during this season, I meant you guys go 34-0. If I read correctly, I think, only three of your games you won by single digits. All the rest of them you win by double digits. I mean, that's remarkable. Yes. What, what it, as it's going, like, do you yes. have moments like on buses or in locker rooms where you just kind of look at maybe your assistants or some of the seniors and go, can you, this is incredible what we're doing here. Like it almost, did it almost have like a, a surreal feeling? It, uh, it did. We, so, I mean, at the beginning of every season, we kind of sit and talk and set goals. Going undefeated was never the goal in one sense. But, you know, one of the things that we talked about going into last year, I shared with the team I'd seen a 30 for 30 on Maya Moore. Uh, and one of the reasons she walked away from the game and just talking about wanting to be present more and not worrying about what's next and what's next and what's next. And she she talked about how she never enjoyed any of the championships. And so I, I said, let's have that mindset going into that the season. I said, let's just focus on going one and zero each day. That way you can, if something goes wrong, you can let it go and just focus on the next one. But as the season progresses, yes, the fact that I'm, we are being even more successful than I thought we were going to be 
was remarkable. And there were points in time during the season. We, we played a showcase game against Archbishop Carroll at Cabrini. And at that time, I think we may have both been undefeated, but we were both real heavyweights. Uh, and Archbishop Carroll, some of their players play AU in the summer with some of our players. And so there's a real familiarity, almost like a friendly rivalry among the girls. And it was a very intense game. It was just a very intense physical game. A lot of individual matchups of star players. And to see our girls come out on top and execute, it was one of those games where if you could, you would call 30 timeouts, but you, you can't. And to just see the girls recognize and make the correct play and the correct decision in big moments in games, that was one of the games I was really like, oh, wow, we, we really have something special going here. And then there was another game during the season where we played Abington at Abington. And having gone through COVID for two years or a year and a half, that was a game where we came out and I, I thought we threw a knockout punch in the first three minutes. And then here comes Abington raging back. And it was the first game in a long time where there was real fans. Like it was not wearing masks. There was a crowd. They were heckling us. Everyone was getting on nerves and the kids responded to it. So that was another game. I said, oh, when we came back in the moment of the game, I was upset. But when we came back and eventually won that game, that was another one. I was like, this this is really turning into something special. When you're winning so many games and you're winning them by so much, was it hard ever to keep them focused and not take things for granted just because I, I don't want to say it's coming easy, but you look at the scoreboard, the kids know there are certain teams mm-hmm. on the schedule. They're just better than like they are. And things would have to go so horribly wrong. It's almost hard to comprehend how you could lose that game. Like how did you work to keep them focused where they didn't take things for granted? I, th- I think two parts. First side uh, from the coaching and basketball side of things is that having that just win the day mentality. And when you're going against a team that on paper, you're better than, and, and you're supposed to win. Uh, and maybe after the first or second quarter, you're up by 20, you're up by 25. This team and us as a coaching staff too, we never took our eye off the prize, which was we wanted to win more than one championship. So these kids beat each other up in practice so badly when they get the chance to work on something in a game, they rel- like they just revel in it. So that while you know no one's trying to be disrespectful or run a score up or anything, when, when those games come across, they know, okay, once we reach a certain plateau or a certain spot in the game, it's time to start thinking, all right, what do I need to work on so that we can beat a state caliber team or a district championship type team? The other thing too, and, and every group is different that I can't take credit for, is just being what these kids went through and what was taken away from them, I think they they just seized it. They they never wanted to take a game for granted because they never know. And they they experienced of we, you know, we're in the state tournament, there's eight, there's eight teams left, and all of a sudden we were blindsided. I had no idea pandemic was even going on. I thought a snowstorm was coming. That's why they were canceling games. And so they knew that. They knew that at any point in time it was so fragile things could go away that they never ever wanted to take things for granted. And two, having done this for a while, it was a special group of parents. It's a that group of players had a special group of parents that I I think really reinforced it to the kids too. Of don't take this for granted. When you, when you have something special like this, 
you, you have to revel in, and take advantage of every day. And I tried as much as I could to compliment our parents uh, going through the season last year because it was that that group that had those three straight years, and some of them are back again this year. Just such a special group of parents that raised kids to not take it for granted. So, what is it? I mean, as we're recording this, the school year has just gotten underway. When you you know look ahead to this season, expectations. You know, it's a different team. Every year is different. Graduation and stuff like that. What's the approach this year to stay on top? Everybody's going to know when you're coming to town. I mean, there's no question about it. So what's the approach? I think what we've tried to instill in our program is a trickle-down leadership. And what I mean by trickle-down leadership is that every year you look to your seniors, this is your senior year, but we're always trying to take juniors and 10th graders and even special ninth graders too and put them in leadership positions before they get to their senior year. So that when they get to their senior year, this isn't the first time they've ever thought of themselves as a leader. So I think of our four seniors that are coming back. Two of them were all state performers last year, Abby Sharp and Aaron Daly. They've, you know, played at a super high level and uh, you know played almost every minute of every game. And then uh, the third senior, Angelia Bowser, she was a rotation kid last year. And now she'll be asked to do a lot more this year. But she has that experience. All three of them played in the state championship game. And then our fourth senior that's coming back, uh, Azzy Crumpton, is a what we call a program kid. This is a kid that played on the ninth grade team, kid that played on the JV team, and now is hungry for her chance to play on the varsity team. So we, we are always trying to build the kids so that when their senior year comes around, being in a leadership position is not new to them uh, so that we can hit the ground running. And then the other part of it, too, is that I've always believed in just coaching to talent. So the last you know three years – We've had three or four six-foot-tall players. And when you have that kind of height, you have to run a certain type of system, and it really frees you up defensively. So this year, we won't be as tall, uh, so we're going to have to you know, play a different style uh, that lends itself more to the talents of the kids that we have this year. But it's, I think, again, what I mentioned earlier, that relief of you know we've accomplished that state championship. It's something that they wanted so badly. Uh, I think the pressure's off a little bit from that side of things. That's where the undefeated part comes into me. We haven't lost in a long time. And myself and the players included, they, we, we all know how much losing stings. I think one of the most important things in this season will be how do we come back after our first loss? Should we have one? And I expect that we will. But like, how do we respond to that? How do we, how do we come back from that? Because we haven't experienced that uh, in a long time. And then We've, you know, over the years, too, we've been developing. We've had summer camps and and youth programs and things like that. We have some talented kids that are going to come in at ninth grade. And the message will be to our upperclassmen, same as when you were in ninth grade and the older players took you in and made you feel welcome and family. It's now time for you to do the same thing. Looking at your time at Plymouth White Marsh and the records, you had success early on, but the last five, six years, it's a different level what do you attribute that to is that just getting the program where you wanted it is it just you growing and learning as a coach like what would you say allowed you to go from good to great sure well the the first two things that jump to mind are my two uh varsity assistants is uh tj delucia and bridget mcknight so tj has been my assistant uh for 10 years 11th this will be our 11th year together uh, and he and I, I think, really complement coaching style wise. He's also the varsity girls soccer coach here. 
Uh, and so he, a lot of times just brings a different perspective. I don't see sometimes. And there's such a respect there of he feels free to just, you know, if he thinks I'm wrong he's going to tell me I'm wrong. And I have the respect of, of listening to him too. Like I know that I'm not infallible. I need to listen to his opinion and sometimes I'm wrong and he's right. Uh, and then Bridget McKnight brings something that TJ and I don't have, which is she's a former elite division one prep school basketball player who still can get in there and mix it up with the girls. And the girls know, like when coach B comes out to scrimmage with them, they like, they're a little worried because she is still an elite player. Uh, and she brings that perspective too of, you know, a role model for the girls. And she has that player perspective for the girls too, of letting them know like this, this isn't wrong. This is hard. And the famous, you know, famous speech from this summer, uh, dude coach of, do hard better, handle hard better. And Coach B delivers that message. So when Coach B came aboard, that's really when you see, when you look at those last six years, her really becoming a leader within the program and Delusia becoming a bigger leader in the program too. That's really one of the things that have turned it around. And talent. I mean, listen, the talent, the the development of our, we, we call it the WGBL, uh, the people that run those leagues, the talent, that has come in there, the development, the youth, any high school coach will tell you your feeder programs are everything. So the WGBL, the Moore brothers, the, those camps and those programs have really developed at the youth level here that has led to us having better players. And then the other thing there's, there's just a couple of players in our history that stick out to me. The, the first is a, a kid, Taylor O'Brien. She was a kid that when she was at our middle school, a lot of the local private schools, interact schools were kind of recruiting and she chose to come to PW and she turned out, you know, she was player of the year for the state of Pennsylvania. And when you have an elite player that makes that choice and comes here, it, it leads to other kids making the same choice. Uh, and I think of, I mentioned Abby Sharp and Aaron Daly uh, at the beginning, they too, when they were coming out of eighth grade, a lot of the local private schools were really trying to get them to come but they see the success that Taylor Bryan was having and say, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to achieve that too. And, uh, and they chose to come here. And I think it's leading to more and more too. the facility that we have here too at Plymouth White Marsh high school. I, I thank our community and school board as much as I can. We have, if not the best, one of the best facilities here for athletics in the entire state. When our teams come here, like, Oh my goodness, look at this main gym, aux gym, weight room, cardio room facility, I mean, we rival some Division three schools with our facilities here. So all of that has really led to the increased success with the program. And, and it really took us from, a like you said, a good team to being a great team over the last five or six years. What got you into coaching? How'd you get your start? <laughs> my dad, <laughs> just like so many other coaches. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was, uh, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and my dad was athletic director for the uh, CYO program uh, at my school. And he never coached me. He always got as athletic director, he had to coach whatever teams didn't have a coach. And so that might be fourth grade girls basketball, seventh grade C team girls softball, things like that. Uh, but he would, I would go to his practices and loved it and just loved coaching. And then right out of college, my first uh, teaching job out of college was on the Eastern Shore of Maryland at a school called Wicomico High School. And uh, the head football coach there was from my area 
up in Northern Delaware and got me on staff and just hooked me in. I coached football and basketball ever since. I don't coach football anymore, though. Early on, did you prefer the coaching basketball to, to football? Was it when you're in season, that was the drive, and then when you were in the other season, that was in the leader, or did you always lean towards basketball? I, I loved everything. I co- I will coach anything. So I I would say that football, I don't think I could ever do long-term because uh, and now, granted, when I coached football, it was the early 2000s before the type of technology we have now. When I was coaching football as low man on totem pole, I was being sent two and a half hours away with a video camera trying to scout. And then we would spend eight hours on Sunday at the head coach's house game planning for the week. And I, I would be able to keep doing that. So I uh, love football, but I would never be able to go to that extreme again. Now, I know that with technology, I'm friends with a high school football coach here. Technology has made it much, much better mm-hmm. now, but it's still a, you know, a tremendous commitment there. And then with basketball, I coached boys basketball. I never coached girls basketball until I came to PW. I've always loved coaching basketball. And as I you know moved, I was at the Ridley School District before I came to PW. I tried to get coaching jobs at Ridley, but I couldn't get it. It's you know, very similar to here. If you're not from there and didn't go to school there, it's really hard to land one of their coaching jobs. Uh, and so it wasn't until I came here to PW that I got the chance again to coach uh, at the high school level. Now, I always, you know, outside the high school level, helping out the CYO team here or travel team there. But it was more about just trying to get the opportunity again. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dan Doherty right after this. This is one on one. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You can understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, the Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with Plymouth White Marsh girls basketball coach Dan Doherty. How long did it take until you kind of felt like you were good at coaching? Like that you were kind of realized, like, I've I've got a knack for this. We're having success. The kids respond to me. Was it right away or was it a, a, a couple years? And I, don't, I mean, football, basketball, but just in general, coaching. <laughs> Definitely not the first few years. Um, So when I was coaching in Maryland, I coached under tremendous coaches. I was low man on the totem pole. So I never felt like the team success was a result of me. When one of my position players, like a linebacker, uh, or if, you know, I was coaching JV basketball uh, at the time too. If, you know, if one of those kids moved up the varsity and did something special, I, I felt pride, I guess, but never caused. I never felt it was because of me. With Pete, my time at PW, I spent two years as an assistant, and it was a struggle in that just trying to change the culture of it in terms of, you know, promoting competitiveness and practice. And I would say it, it really took probably until like my third or fourth year as a head coach for me to be like, okay, I can do this. I'm good at this. The kids are responding to it. You know, sometimes you hear coaches or teachers say, find your voice. Uh, so it, it, it probably took about three or four years to before I started feeling like, okay, I've got an idea of how to do this uh, successfully. 
Now with teaching, like on the teaching side, I've been a teacher for 23 years and I, I share with my students about it. I've always considered myself lucky in that ever since I started teaching as my first job out of college, there's nothing else I'd rather do. I love it. It's, I do believe it's like a calling. I, I just enjoy it so much. And I feel the same way about coaching as well, is that once I kind of got into a routine of it, it feels so natural. I enjoy it so much that there's just nothing else I'd rather be doing. As a teacher and as a coach, are you using the skills out of the same toolbox or is it a little different? Because teaching, you're mentoring, coaching, you're mentoring. Like, but do you find mm-hmm. yourself using different tools to reach kids in the different roles? Uh, there's, there's probably like a base set of tools that I would use for both, uh, you know, organization planning. That's a, that's a big part of being successful as a coach too, is just having a organized practice plan for your assistant coaches to know what you're doing that day. Uh, the more planned you are as a coach, the more efficient your practices are. And then teaching, it's the same way. I think my students would tell you like, it's our, our class is very routine. Um, and, and in the classroom routine, typically leads to success when students can depend on a routine. So yeah, I definitely use the same set of tools with both being a coach makes me a better teacher and making being a teacher definitely makes me a better coach. The early years. Well, how did you come to, to Plymouth White Marsh? What was kind of the, the, the door opening? Uh, so I was working in the Ridley school district for five years. I was working at Ridley high school and I'd gotten to like the final interview for the girls basketball job and I didn't get it. And at that same time, Plymouth White Marsh High School was transitioning to the same math curriculum that we taught at Ridley High School. And so their director of curriculum was said, hey, we have an opening coming up. Um, would you be interested in switching school districts? And at the time, I was, yes, because I, I sometimes joke that at my time at Ridley, I really enjoyed it, but I, I just wasn't getting any extracurricular activity opportunities. And so I jumped at the opportunity to go to Plymouth White Marsh. And it was, it was really a teaching position opening, which led me to leave. And then once I started working here at PW, it was about three or four years after that, that the girls basketball coach at the time reached out and was like, I have an opening for an assistant. Would you be interested? And I jumped at the opportunity. And you were assistant two years before you became the head coach? I a, yes, I was an assistant for two years. To uh, The head coach at the time was uh, Becky Duffy. And then she stepped down. She had started a family and time commitments. uh, And then I took over. How long did it take till you felt like the program was really yours? Like you, you know, we Mm -hmm. talked about the different, you know, the success you've had the last five, six years. But, you know, even in those early years, did you feel right away or did it take some time before you you felt like it was yours? I I felt right away. Uh, You know, I just mentioned her again, Becky. She really let me have a voice as an assistant coach. I wasn't just a clipboard holder or anything Uh, like she really let me have a voice. And I would say within a month or two of the first year of being assistant, I I really felt strongly about the program. I had a voice and was contributing, but it probably took my my very first year as a head coach. uh, The third year of the program, I had five returning seniors that all started. So that still very much felt like a left out, like a, a team that was already there. So I would say my second year as head coach, once that class had graduated, those were really Becky's kids that she had brought along. So probably my second year as head coach is really when I felt, okay, this program is is mine now. I'm, you know, kind of building, I wouldn't say a new direction because Becky and I definitely started together, 
But that second year, we kind of started, you know, building on what was there and the culture of we're here to be competitive. We're not here to be a club really started to take shape. Do you remember your first win? I don't. <laughs> I don't remember my first. I remember my first game. My first game as head coach, we were losing 20 to two after the first quarter. Our, our first game, we played Mathacton at Mathacton in a tip-off tournament, and we were losing 20 to two after the first quarter. And I remember the first year, uh, the midway point, we played 22 games in the regular season. The midway point, we lost to Sheltonham at Sheltonham at the buzzer. And we were three and eight. And on the bus ride home, I turned to the assistant. I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this again. I don't know if I can go three, eight the rest of the way. Now we went eight and three the rest of the way to finish 11, 11. But I, that was a, that was a point I remember. I don't remember our first win though. I'd have to go back and look it up. Do you enjoy winning or hate losing more? <laughs> That's the easy one. I hate losing. I hate losing my own kids. I have a 10 year old and eight year old. I hate losing. (laughs) I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. My wife is great for this though. She reminds me all the time. Enjoy it. I asked you your first, you don't remember your first win, but do you remember your first big win? Like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe we did that. Whether it's a comeback, whether it was who you beat or how you beat them. Do you remember that first like unbelievable victory you had? Yeah, absolutely. It, yes. I still have the video of it and I still look at it sometimes. In our second year, at that time, Upper Dublin had replaced Sheltonham as the elite school in our division. So Sheltonham for 30 years under Bob Schaefer was the dominant girls basketball program. And then my first three years, Upper Dublin had supplanted them as the dominant program. And in our second year, we played uh, Upper Dublin on a snowy day after school. And it came down to the last possession and we won the game. Uh, so to knock off Upper Dublin, who I think had won, at that point in time had won two or three straight undefeated league championships, to knock them off was just a huge accomplishment. I don't show much happiness on the sidelines when we win. But there's a, you know, on the video, you can see when we win, I kind of, you know, jump in the air and give a pretty strong fist pump uh, after we win. Where would you say that you have made the biggest improvement as a coach over your decade plus at the helm? You know, personally, as a coach, I would say the, the biggest improvement has been finding the language that the kids understand. So the the first few years, I felt I, you know, especially you know, transitioning to the high school girls game was I was assuming they understood things that I was saying that they didn't understand. And so once I had a couple of years of experience with that, I think just finding the language and the method, like speaking slower, giving the reason why we're doing something uh, as opposed to just do it because I said so. Uh, I think that really made a huge difference. And then as well, and, you know, different coaches have always, you know, given me good advice here and there is I believe at least what works best for me is to coach to the talent I have rather than trying to force talent to fit into a system. So when you look at a 2015 team, they played differently than the 2018 team and the 2018 team 
played differently than the 2022 team. To me, I enjoy that. And I think it's made coaching more enjoyable too, because it keeps it fresh. I'm, I'm always trying to go out and find a new wrinkle that suits these kids instead of trying to make these kids fit into the same play I've been running for 15 years. How much pride do you feel with kids that go on to play college basketball, that you're able to be such an important piece of the puzzle that allows them to, to take it to the next level? I feel tremendous pride. I am almost annoying to them. <laughs> if you ever ask any of them, I have their schedules plastered everywhere. I travel to see them play. We as a program will go see them play. And I just, I mean, I think back to last year, we went to a game at Temple to see Taylor Bryan play. Uh, we went to U Sciences to see Anna McTamney play. I mean, we would go all the time to Philly U, Jefferson University to see Lena Williams play. Salisbury, I, I go to their games. I have subscriptions to ESPN Plus and Flow Sports and the Big Ten. So I, I follow them uh, all the time. I take great pride in it. Sometimes I keep coaching them through the screen or through emails and text messages like, hey, in the third quarter, you should have done this. Uh, great game, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but So, I, I mean, I even think back to a couple of years ago, we were at a game at Lehigh, and Taylor's playing, and I'm shouting at her like I'm actually coaching the game from in the stands. And so I, I love it. I love to follow the girls when they still go to college and go to their games. And it, like I mentioned to you earlier, it breeds success in our program because the girls that are here now – want the next generation to come watch them play when they're in college. And I love when they go local. When they go local, it's the best. So we're going to have to stretch our wings a little bit right now. We have one in Massachusetts, one at Florida State. So it's going to be a little harder to get to those games. But luckily, television makes it better. When you're getting this type of attention from colleges, as a coach, I would guess, is there kind of a balancing act? You're obviously worried about this team and – you know, the wins and losses in, in the season, but also this player's got this coach coming in. Is it a lot to to keep track of and keep balanced? I think it just, it, you know, that organization part I talked about earlier, just being organized. I, I try my best with players and their parents too, to just give the idea that it's always okay to talk. If you want to sit and talk, if you have questions, I'm here to answer them. I'm not a uh, and I understand why some coaches are, but I'm not a coach like you don't talk to me during the season. Don't talk to me during the week. Don't talk to me after a game. Uh, but it's it's an overwhelming process to go through. And and now, luckily, because of the success we've had, I've gone through the process with some of the kids a few times. It's just overwhelming for the kids and the parents. And so I try to always keep that in mind is that, you know, while I have 12 players on the team and, you know, over 100 alumni, this is their one child. This is their one life. And it's a, a heavy decision that they're going through. So I always try to keep that in mind. Whenever it, it's a, it's a human thing to feel pressure when a college coach comes to see you in person, whether they're evaluating you or whether they're just there visiting because they already offered you uh, to try and reassure a kid of, listen, this, th this scholarship is there. That coach not going to yank your scholarship because you missed a free throw today. And just trying to reassure them of those things and, and prepare them for, listen, yes, you, you, at some point in time, you're going to have to be prepared to play in front of this coach if you actually want to play for them. Uh, so it's an overwhelming thing. I think what I would say about it is just if you can keep in mind from a coach, if you can just remember this is this parent's one child, this is this player's 
really one of the major decisions they'll make in life. Just, just give them patience, just give them patience and listen to them and let them ask questions. And then on the other side of things is I'm a big advocate for the kids. I tell them all the time, like, tell me a school. I'll reach out to them. They're like, well, do you know the coach? No, but I'll email them. I'll call them that if, if you're nervous or shy to, I, I don't mind doing that on your behalf. A lot of times with college coaches, just speak honestly with them. They just want you to be honest. They don't want to have someone tell them what they want to hear kind of thing. They want you to be honest. I, I try my best when I speak to college coaches to be that way. Final question. Favorite part of what you do? <laughs> Is getting to know the kids and their families. Absolutely. Just Getting to know them, and when I say getting to know them, is getting to see them grow, too. Uh, when I think about that special group of seniors that graduated last year and that we have right now, uh, and, and even the class before them, too, the, the class of uh, 21, just getting to know these kids and watching them grow and following them when they get to college, that, to me, is, is the most fun part, is, is seeing them mature and watching them grow into the person Uh, that they're destined to become. Dan, thanks so much for the time. This was great. All right. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Plymouth White Marsh girls basketball coach Dan Doherty for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, want to help us out, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at 101Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.